All right, so if you guys have a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to be tonight. And so uh, last week we talked about, um, we got into a parable, and we talked about the parable where uh, Jesus tells the story about a man that found a treasure in a field, and how that man, uh, realizing the value of that treasure and the value of what he had in his possessions, that he sold everything he had, bought the field, and got possession of that treasure because he realized what was in that field was more valuable than anything he had. And so in talking about that last week and kind of just going through that little bit of a study through that one verse there, um, it led me this week to think more about parables and some different things about parables and led me to another parable. And so I want to kind of talk about that tonight. We're going to look at another parable in just a moment. And then also at one of the more kind of concerning statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels, something that when we read it, it kind of catches us off guard. It sounds very shocking. Uh, It doesn't sound like something Jesus would normally say. And so we're going to unpack that as well. So Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read the first nine verses. And uh, as we read this passage together, uh, we're going to be talking about just some things that are unique to parables. I know we talked a little bit about that last week. Um, and we have in the past as well, but to keep us fresh on that idea of what a parable is and all those things, the unique aspects of those, but then also dive into this specific parable and see what the Lord has for us. And so um, if I have a volunteer that would like to read uh, the first nine verses, that would be great to get us started. So Mark chapter four, verse, verses one through nine. If somebody would like to read, and we can go ahead and get started with that. Keith, you got that? Awesome. Thank you. Did you, did you got that? Yes, out loud this time. Sorry, I should have been clear. That's my mistake. He's like in verse 6 already. Okay, so in that phrase right there, we talked about this morning, but we also talked about it last week. That last phrase in verse 9. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's a pretty kind of a pointed way of Jesus saying, if you get it, you're going to get it. That's kind of what he's saying. If you can get it, you need to receive it. But this parable, and I, I want to open up just a little quick here. Um, first of all, there's such a crowd that what does Jesus have to do to teach? Jesus is kind of all surrounded by this crowd. How does he teach this crowd? What does the the passage say he had to do to be able to teach them? Okay, got in a boat, went out in the water, right? And which is kind of interesting, that would act like kind of as a little bit of an echo, right? It would kind of bounce the sound and kind of push it out so they can hear better. Okay, he didn't have a microphone, which is always kind of interesting to me to think about 
teaching these huge crowds with no way to amplify his voice, okay? But it's amazing he does this. He goes out. He begins to teach them. He didn't just teach them this parable. What does the, the verse say in, in verse uh, 2? It just says he taught him them what? Parables, right? And lots of parables. And then there's that word in his doctrine. What does the word doctrine mean? What's another word for doctrine? Some would say belief, but we actually put our belief in doctrine. Okay, so doctrine isn't belief. Doctrine is what we believe in. So what's another word for doctrine that we could use? Yeah, that's exactly it. Teaching. Yep, doctrine is teaching. It's a, it's a form of teaching. It's subject matter that's dealing with different topics. And so when he says he's taught them many things by parables. So he's teaching many parables. Now, we don't read all of the parables he taught in Mark 4, but that's okay. We don't need all the parables. The one that God wanted us to know about and to be able to read today and tonight is recorded for us. And it says them in his doctrine. So all of these things are teachings. All the parables, everything he's doing is to teach them. Okay, he's trying to teach them many things. And then he starts a parable. And we talked about it before when he says in verse 3, Hearken, behold, there, was a, there went out a sower to sow. What does the word hearken mean? Listen, right? Hear what I'm going to say. So in a parable here, we know that most of the time, if not all the time, there's not proper names. Uh, there was a farmer, there was a sower, there was a this. And so here in this case, it's just, just a story about a sower who went to sow seed. So before we dive into the actual parable, I wanted to set it up with all of that kind of intro of the text. And then I want to give a couple keys to understanding a parable. Now, a couple of these things we kind of hinted at last week, but I want to kind of refresh us with that and then give us some other material. Because really, when you talk about a parable, we have to really step back and ask, okay, what is the point of this? What am I supposed to take away from that? Some keys to understanding a parable. The first thing we have to know is a parable is not an allegory. And we've kind of, again, we talked about this a little bit last week. A parable is not an allegory. And so an allegory is a story where everything in the story has a meaning. So a parable is not an allegory. An allegory is where everything in the story has a meaning. One of the more famous examples of this would be Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Everything in that story had some purpose, some meaning. The characters, all these different things. A parable may have elements of an allegory, but they are not the same thing. Something may mean something else in the, in the parable, but the overarching literary form is not allegory. It's different because not everything in the parable means something. Uh, when we forget this, we can get some very strange teaching. And we said this last week. Uh, how do we usually define a parable? It's a little redundant for some, but just to kind of catch us up. How do we usually define a parable? A simple way to define a parable. Yeah, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? That's one of the more common ways we hear it described. The key point, and if you're taking notes and you want to jot this down, uh, the parable is communicating one central point to be understood. That's the idea. It, it, the heavenly meaning that we're referring to is one central point, primarily one central point that needs to be understood. Uh, parables can be short. They can be long. There's a really famous parable in Luke. Uh, I believe it's Luke 15. And it's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. It's a very long parable, right? There's a lot going on there. But last week we read one verse that was a parable. So a parable can be very short, one verse, or even just a couple sentences, or it can be very, very long. Lots of different things going on in the story. 
And that's really what it is. It's a story. And so I wanted to kind of share this too, because I never thought about this until honestly this last week. Sandra got me a, like a teaching series of, um, literally it's called From Dust to Glory. It's by R.C. Sproul. And while I don't agree with everything R.C. Sproul believes, but majority of his stuff is pretty good. And in this, he literally just goes from the very beginning of God's word to the very end. And they're like 25 minute teaching little clips. And as I was watching through that, just crazy how God works. One of the things this week was on, and it's just on DVD, was on parables. And I was thinking, wow, that's kind of cool. I'm going to go there. And we just talked about parables. Let's see what he says. And what's interesting is he brought up something about parables that I never really realized before, at least not by calling them this. And so one of the things he points out is that there's universal storytelling modes in parables, universal storytelling modes. And so he points out three different modes of storytelling that we find in parables that we also find in storytelling as we would understand it. Okay. And so one of the first things he points out is the rule of three. That in storytelling, there's a, something called the rule of three. And what, a good example of this would be Goldilocks and the three bears. How many beds were there? Right. How many bowls of porridge? Not enough. Right. Exactly. Yes. I, I know when I have porridge, I always want more. That's just how I am. Um, I don't even know what porridge is. But anyway, but this idea of this repetition of three, okay, And when you look at parables, there are examples of this. And again, one of the more popular ones would be the prodigal son. There's three main characters in that parable, right? Who are the three main characters in the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son? The father, the prodigal, who's the third main character? The older son, right? So three main characters. It actually takes place. uh, We say it's a parable of the lost son. It's really part of a parable. Right? It's one parable in Luke 15 with three basic points. And if you look at it, it's actually the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the parable of the lost son. So three aspects of the parable all told in different ways. So we see this idea of three repeating in different parables or stories, which is, again, common to universal storytelling. Another thing that he pointed out that I thought was interesting is there's the principle of contrast. Principle of contrast. Sometimes there are two main characters or groups to show contrast. Luke 15, again, referring to the prodigal son, the crowd is made up of known sinners and the religious. So there's two groups that the story is being told to that the story is involved in too, right? Two of those main characters that we just talked about, the prodigal and the older son, who's the prodigal? What's the prodigal represent in that story? The sinners, right? What's the older brother represent? Well, the religious, specifically the Pharisees, right? Those that are of Israel, that when a sinner comes to saving faith, they get the celebration and the Israelites, the Pharisees are going, we don't like that because we've been here all along. We've kept the law. We should get a celebration. So Jesus is using the principle of contrast. He's contrasting two things together. When you read through parables, you'll see oftentimes this contrast being used. And if there's a principle of contrast, it goes to guess there's a principle of comparison. Um, an example would be the parable of the unjust judge compared to the just judge. So there's a comparison being made here. And in that parable, in Luke 18, we read about an unjust judge who actually does the right thing, right? He listens to the concerns. I believe it's the widow. He hears the concerns and he responds favorably. 
And the point is, if this unjust judge can do this, how much more will the just judge respond? How much more would God respond? So it's a comparison being used here. A common emphasis in these parables is the kingdom of God. So when Jesus is telling a parable about the kingdom of God, he's comparing something to the kingdom of God, and there's a phrase he uses often, and it's how much more when talking about the kingdom of God. It's, okay, you understand this, but when I compare it to the kingdom of God, how much more is the kingdom of God than this? So it's an emphasis on it's so much greater when we compare that with what we understand in the physical. So we see some storytelling modes here. The rule of three, principle of contrast, and the principle of comparison. And again, when you read parables, you'll see these things. I've seen them before, but I never really thought about them in a broader scope. And so I thought that was really interesting when he pointed it out in his teaching. And so in this parable here, we're going to see some different things being used here to help us to understand what is Jesus's one central theme? What's his point? So diving into the parable itself in verses 1 through 9, uh, what's the basic story about? Don't tell me the interpretation and the explanation yet. What's the story? Give me the simple points of the story. Who's our main character? A sower, okay? And what's that sower doing? Sowing seeds, right? Again, kind of easy to understand. When that sower is sowing seed, what's happening? Okay, he's scattering it, and what's it being scattered on? Different types of ground or soils, okay? And so he lists these different types of grounds. Of the ground. Some, the seed takes root for a second, withers and dies. Other things happen. The weeds choke it out. And then he talks about, okay, well, there's sometimes where the seed falls on good ground. And what happens to the seed that falls on the good ground? It grows. And it not only grows, it produces fruit. How much fruit? Yeah, exactly. It says it right there in verse 8. Some 30, some 60, and some 100. So when it's in good ground, it's going to produce fruit. That's the idea. It's going to take root. It's going to grow strong and produce fruit. So this is the basic story. Um, as we will see, the soils represent the hearts that will receive the seed or the word of God. So we understand this. The basic principle of the story is we are the sowers, right? And we're called to spread the word of God or the seed. And the problem people get into with this is sometimes they'll get hung up on the soils. And the types of soils and all of that. And so we're going to look at how does Jesus explain this to the disciples. So look at verse 13. I know we jumped over a couple of verses. We will come back to those. But verse 13 says here, And he said unto them, now the them there is not the crowd. Okay, this is, now he's with the disciples. In verse 10 it says, And when he was alone, they that were about him, I'm sorry, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. So, what we see here is now he's not with the crowd. Remember early in chapter 4, what, who's he teaching? The, the multitude, right? This large gathering. Now he's with just the disciples. And so we look at verse uh, 13. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? So he's saying, they're asking. We don't get this, okay? And what's interesting to note here is when we hear of a parable and we say something like an earthly story with a heavenly meaning— we get the idea that the story helps us to understand the point. That's how we usually look at parables. I can understand the point because the story is such a common story that in this 
agricultural society, anyone in that crowd, the minute he said a sower went to sow seed, everyone in the crowd went, I can relate with that. I understand that. So we tend to think, okay, this is meant to be easy to understand. But in reality, often we see the disciples go, I don't really get that. I don't really get what you're talking about. I don't really understand what this is about. And so let's look at verse 14. It says here, the sower soweth the word. So this is Jesus telling us what the parable means. So the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the, the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves. So endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction and persecution arise, uh, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the uh, deceitfulness of riches and the lust uh, of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, which as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And so Jesus is giving us an explanation that the soils represent people, individual hearts that receive the word. Some have different results. And so real quick, an explanation of this, just to give you an idea of what these four different soils look like. The one, he says, is the wayside. So the seed is given but taken away, also known as the hard soil. They hear the word but immediately allow the enemy to take it away. Now, let me just start or say this at the very beginning. This is not loss of salvation. This is not, I got saved and Satan stole away my salvation. And there's one clear obvious reason we don't believe that. Well, there's two I can give you just off the top of my head. Number one, whose hand am I in when I get saved? Who who puts me in his hand? Specifically, Jesus first. And then what does Jesus say? My hand is in the Father's hand. And who can take us out of his hand? Romans 8. What separates us from the love of God? Nothing, right? Nothing created. Nothing in the heavenlies. That's Satan, or nothing created, no angelic beings, nothing, right? In heaven or earth. That means Satan cannot come and take away your salvation. So what does it mean here when it says that immediately the enemy takes it away? Most that I've heard would suggest is that they receive the word, not unto conversion, but they've heard the word. They've heard the truth of the gospel. But the enemy, by deception, or by temptation or different things, lures them away from receiving the fullness of the word unto salvation. This is like someone that maybe, well, I, I mean, I've had this conversation with somebody who was much older, looked me right in the face when they, I asked them why they'd never received Christ. They said they'd been in church their whole life, heard the word, heard the gospel, knew the gospel, but never received it, never saved. And I said, why? And they said, I like to sin too much. This is a man in his, like, I don't know, mid-70s. I like to sin too much. And in this man's mind, sin was more enjoyable than giving that up and giving himself to Christ. Well, where does that deception start and originate? Partially in the flesh, but also who encourages that? The enemy. So to me, when I hear this, that's kind of what I think of. It's, it's not that Satan comes in and literally takes away our salvation. We know he can't do that because we, once we've been saved, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1. So it's this idea of this, I've, I've heard the word, but I've not really let it take root in my life as of 
yet. So that's the wayside, the rocky ground. Similarly, as we see here, uh, they receive the word, but there's no roots. Also known as the shallow ground. They might make an emotional response, but as time goes on, their interest lessens and they do not continue. Some examples you could put down would be John 8, 31 through 32. 1 John two nineteen. If they were of us, then they would be with us. But since they're not with us, they were never really of us, is what John's saying. So again, they make an emotional response. Now, I, I'm all for revivals and crusades and all these things that have gone on through church history, through even our nation's history. But sometimes people will make an emotional response to Christ. They'll, they'll, they'll cry the tears and they'll feel bad for their sin, but they haven't really received the fullness of what Christ is offering. And they've, maybe they even bought into Christianity as more of a sales pitch. My life's going to be perfect now. What does Jesus say will come to the believer? Right. Affliction, persecutions. And for what reason? For the word's sake. That means they're not even being persecuted for them. They're being persecuted because of the word of God. And when that comes against them, they'll say, I'm basically, I'm paraphrasing, I'll quit. I'm done. And we see this in the world today. People that profess to know Christ, that say they're Christian, but yet when tough times come or when God doesn't do what they want and things get hard, they quit. Now, I'm not saying everyone who walks away from the church or quits isn't a believer, but I am saying that there are those who walk away from the church, walk away from Christ, walk away from that relationship who never really had it to begin with. I'm not talking about backsliding. I'm talking about they walk away because there was no root. That's a key that Jesus says. There's no root. Do you notice that all of this is very shallow? It's a shallow belief. It's not, it's not grounded in anything. In the Holy Land, uh, there are areas where there is limestone covered with a thin layer of soil. The shoot of the plant can go up quick, but cannot take root. Because the soil is so shallow and the limestone is so, so deep underneath, it can't burrow through. So it shoots up real quick, but then it has no roots. This is kind of an example of what Jesus would be talking about. The third soil we see here, and I'm going to go through these and then give you a little bit more information here. Uh, number three, uh, the thorny ground. Uh, this would be those that hear but are consumed by worldly cares. This is also known as the crowded soil. The heart is the, uh, sorry, the heart... This heart is the closest to salvation, but still falls short. Like a garden, the weeds of this world choke out the seed. It's where somebody is maybe debating. Um, Paul says, um, who is it uh, in Acts? Oh, is it King Agrippa? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting now. Is it King Agrippa where he says, you almost converted me, you almost made me believe? I think it's Paul speaking to King Agrippa in Acts where he's, he's t talking to him and sharing the faith with him. He's trying to see him come to know Christ. And he says, you almost persuaded me. You almost got me to believe, is what he's kind of saying. And I love that phrase in Scripture because it shows me that there are those who hear the Word of God, and it truly is like something they wrestle with. And that's why I said this morning, when you share Christ with people, don't just, if they say, I don't know if I want to believe that, don't give up on them. Don't quit on them. Don't walk away from them. Because they may not be at that point right now, but maybe they're going to open themselves up and God will begin to work. And over time, they'll begin to open their understanding to the things of God. But this, this ground, this soil seems to be close to salvation. I've almost believed, but the cares of the world come in and start to kind of, kind of lead them a different way. So what could be an example of the cares of the world? 
when Jesus says this, that the cares of the world kind of come in and choke out the seed? What are some cares of the world that might cause somebody who's wrestling with salvation? Is this gospel really real? Do I really need to believe this? They, they maybe even want to kind of, in a sense, because they like how it sounds, but they just aren't sure yet. And the cares of the world come in and kind of choke out that seed. And then they're left to kind of just drift back into the world's way of thinking. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Relationships with family, friends. Okay. Yeah. So as our culture drifts farther from a Christian base um, or understanding, some of those views aren't popular anymore. So that could be a concern that somebody would wrestle with that would cause them to be that kind of chokes out that potential of the seed taking root. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, just unpopular to be a believer. Sandra? Okay. Yeah. The, the desires of the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. I want what I want. I want my kingdom. And if I give myself over to Jesus, I got to be about his kingdom. What, what benefit is it to me? What blessing is it to me? What, how do I gain any notoriety from that? I want financial success. I want a big house. I want lots of stuff. And man, this Jesus stuff sounds like I'm going to lose all that. I'm not going to have that. So yeah, just the temptation of the world's way of thinking what's valuable and what's important. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Worldly success is always faster than spiritual success. Right. Yeah. Everyday living. Absolutely. Yeah, can I go take care of this field that I just bought? I got to do this. I got to do that, right? It's these other things that, by the way, those things aren't sinful things, right? It's just something that we're putting in place of following him or what we think he wants us to do. Absolutely. Yeah, freedoms. Absolutely. Yeah, false or perceived freedoms. Yeah, I'm freer before I bind myself to the things of Christ. Because when I get saved, I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this, right? But yet when you receive Christ, what do we discover? True freedom, right? True freedom. It's amazing to me when people will say that. Well, I don't want to get saved because I don't want to give up my freedoms. Do you realize how bound you are to self and flesh and Satan and the world? Like you are more entangled and bonded than you can imagine. Uh, Acceptance of others, popularity, wanting to be liked, all these things that we are freed of in Christ. The last ground. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Now, are you referring to like personal or like when something happens to someone else? God, why did you let this happen? Kind of a thing. Okay. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. 
yeah, God allowed this or God did this. And, you know, why would you do that, God? If you're this kind of a God, then never mind. Um, how about, too, I just thought about this, too. How about, like, the academic aspect of this? That to believe, in, as a Christian believes, is foolishness, right? It's not, it's not wise. It's, you, you can't really be intelligent and actually believe in creation. I mean, come on. Like, there's that, that worldly pressure to, quote, unquote, fall into what is expected or accepted, you know, in the intellectual field, right? That worldly pressure, you gotta, if you believe, I mean, the Bible, come on, who believes that? So there's that pressure as well, for sure. So the good ground, this is the last soil that he gives. Um, they hear the word, believe it, and keep it, and it produces fruit. Now, this is an evident salvation. Uh, so First Peter 1, I jotted this down as a reference. So First Peter 1. Oops. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth of the Spirit unto, or I'm sorry, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So Peter, again, is speaking to this idea of this word taking roots, right? Taking seed, drawing out, a, 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 a producing fruits. Um, but I love that it says here that all this, this stuff we see, the flower of the grass um, and all these things, it withers away, it falls away. Right? But the word lasts forever. Um, what we see in the physical will fall away. But the word of God endures forever. And this is that idea that the salvation we have, because it's in the word of God, and that's where we find our salvation, that's where we find the truth of the gospel, it will last forever. Uh, he gives us this information, I'm sorry, he gives this information to the disciples because they have been chosen to be Christ's ambassadors to lay the foundation of the church. Understanding this parable is vitally important to the disciples. They're getting ready to go out and take the gospel to all these different regions, all these different places. And what they're doing is they're going out to spread the seed. And that's really kind of in my mind, when I look at this parable, when I say, okay, what's the central point of this? I believe the central point is that we are called to spread the word, to sow the seed, and we are not responsible for the ground it falls on. We are merely responsible to what? Cast the seed. And some hearts will receive it. Some hearts will not. Some will be instantaneous results, it seems like, but it doesn't really last because there was no roots. And yet the sower just keeps casting seed, just keeps sowing the seed. And in this regard, we think about, he's telling this to the disciples privately. He kind of wants them to understand this. They're going to go out to all these regions and they're going to, try, going to try to cast the seed, cast the word of God. And there will be some that believe and some that don't. We see this in Paul's ministry. Some mocked him, some ridiculed him, some believed, some said, you know what, we'll hear you more about this. We want to hear more about this. And some believed instantly. The Bereans said, well, this sounds good. I'm paraphrasing, but let's get into the word. We want to see if this is true. So there's all kinds of results that come out of this, different kinds of situations. But the key point is, as we're spreading the seed, when it does take roots, there will be fruits. Again, a common theme we see that Jesus speaks to here.
So this is important to understand for the disciples. But it's in this passage, Jesus says one of the more, you could kind of call it concerning comments. One that stands out to us as odd. Some doesn't sound like something Jesus would say. But I truly believe that if we kind of look at the bigger picture here, we'll understand what he's meaning. So in chapter 4, verse 10 of Mark, let's look at these couple of verses, 10 through 12. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So that's a pretty cool statement. Unto you it is known or given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. This is again what I was saying. We think parables, that's meant to make it easier to understand. The next statement of Jesus would suggest otherwise. Verse 12, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I've read that a few times in my life, when I read that, that doesn't sound, and I don't know how to say this, very Jesus-like to me. Now, I'm really obviously glad that God doesn't base his word on my understanding of his word or how I would read it or write it. But let's look at that again. Verse 12. That seeing they may see, those that he's talking about are not the disciples. He's talking about those that are without, right? That multitude would have those that would be considered without, those without, outside of the disciples. It says that they seeing may not see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Man, at first glance, when you read that, you're like, wait a minute. So is Jesus actually saying, is Jesus actually saying that if they hear and understand, they might get saved, and I don't want that? Man, that, that, that's kind of what it sounds like. But I want to kind of encourage you, when we step back and look at the big picture, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, at least not the way we would take it and interpret it. Again, we think parables are meant to be a story to help with understanding the truth. However, Jesus says that to those that are without, the truth is given in parables so that those that do not want to hear will not hear. He's actually saying, I'm going to make it a little more difficult for you. You have to now listen. You have to now show, I want to know what this is talking about, which we actually see the disciples do. They did exactly that. They said, hey, we really want to know this. We want to understand this. Again, he actually says, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. Now, if you've been on Wednesday night, we've been going through the book of Isaiah for quite a while now. This is not a quote. Mark is not quoting from Isaiah when he writes this. And Jesus is not exactly quoting either from Isaiah, but it's alluding to Isaiah 6.9. Isaiah 6.9 says, and he replied, Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. So again, we see Jesus alluding to a passage in Isaiah and the early part of Isaiah. And we've been studying Isaiah now for quite a few weeks. And we understand that in Isaiah's prophecy and in his uh, book of, of judgment, if you will, and also grace, there's two groups going on, going on in Israel. There's those that have hardened their heart to the things of God. They've gotten involved in idolatry and all of this. But then there's also this remnant that wants to hold true to the things of God. They want to remain faithful. And so Jesus is talking here. And remember, what's the greater context of this parable? We got the disciples, but what's the greater context in the beginning of Mark 4? 
Who is he originally telling this parable to? Not just the disciples, but who else? The crowd or the multitude. So what's the multitude made up of? Just think about Jesus' crowds that he gathered. Who would be in that crowd if you had to guess? Okay, sinners. Yeah, they're all sinners, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sinners, known sinners, if you will. Pharisees. Okay, yeah, the unsaved, yeah. Maybe some, maybe, right? Some that were born Jewish, lived perfect, sinless lives. Not sinless, but I mean, thinking they're living sinless lives because they're following the law. Some that have drifted and walked away. There's all these different people in the crowd. How about those that were even followers of Jesus? What were the motivations to follow Jesus in this crowd? What would be some of the motivations for this crowd to follow Jesus? Okay, healing. Yeah, to get fed, right? Man, you hungry? Follow Jesus. He'll give you food. You can't even just take it all in. It's amazing. What? Okay, maybe some that were like, I'll show these Hellenistic Jews and the Pharisees. I'm going to follow this guy because you know what? He's going to bring a battle and he's going to overthrow the oppressors. I want to buddy up with him, right? Healing, feedings, right? To be rebellious. Why might some of the Pharisees follow him? Meaning literally go town to town with him. Yeah, to catch him in what? Right. We want to stumble him up, catch him, watch him get tripped up on a a point of the law. Uh, He says this, we take it to um, Caesar. He says that. We take it to the Pharisees. We take it up the chain. We can catch him in something. So in this crowd, Jesus is pointing out, if you think of it, Jesus is the ultimate sower, right? Why do we sow the word? Because he set the example. What did Jesus do? He sold the word. Everywhere he went, he gave the word. And in that crowd, guess what we see? Four types of soils. In that crowd that he was just speaking to, some will respond and then walk away. Some will allow the world's cares to choke it out. Some, there's no really listening. It's just hard hearts. I want nothing to do with it. The seed's not getting in. But in that same crowd, there's good ground, there's good soil, and it may take root. So what Jesus is saying here is if they don't hear and they don't understand, they don't perceive, they won't be saved. Their sins won't be forgiven them. However, those that have an ear to hear and hear what Christ is saying, they then, it's the opposite from verse 12. They will see, they will understand because they'll understand what Christ is teaching them. The word takes root and guess what? They're converted and their sins are forgiven. So it's not Jesus saying, I'm hiding this because I don't want a certain group of people to get saved. I don't want you to know this, so I'm going to keep it secret from you. But he is saying, I'm going to teach you in this way because I know some of you are just here to mock me. You don't really care. You're not really here to hear. And so you know what? Based on God's character, he's saying, I want to make sure you're putting in, if you want to say the work. And I hate saying that phrase because I know we think work, we got to work to salvation. But I mean work to say, okay, I need to humble myself and hear what God is actually saying. So many of the Pharisees and religious leaders never heard a word Jesus preached unless it was to try to trap him and trick him. They didn't really receive the word. Godly merely gives those in the crowd that don't want to hear that don't want to understand, that will not perceive because of their own choice and free will, God merely gives them over to their desires 
allows them to continue in their blindness, and yet uses them for his purposes, as we read and read in Romans one twenty six and chapter 9. So here we understand that God merely says, okay, you don't want to hear, then you don't need to hear. But your sins won't be forgiven. You won't be converted. And you'll continue in that spiritual blindness all the way through eternity. But yet those who will hear can be saved. Uh, in this parable, I believe... Uh, The only soil that represents someone truly being saved and forgiven is the good soil. Um, I believe the rest represent false conversions, as Matthew talks about in regards to those that think they are saved and will discover he, quote, never knew them. Now, I'm not suggesting, and people will take these parables or these uh, soils, and they'll take the principle of that, and they'll say, okay, you ever feel like you're being choked out by the cares of the world? And then they'll say something like, You know, Peter says we can cast all our cares on him because he cares for us. Romans says, don't be conformed to the things of the world, but renew your thinking. And they'll take this soil as an example of how the world can choke out that relationship with Christ. Now, I understand why people do that, but I think there's a whole whole slew of passages we could use that would be in context that would teach that. To me, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying it's a Christian who's having the world choke out that relationship. This person is not a believer. This person's not a follower of Christ. It's somebody that has not given root to the word of God, and the the world comes in, chokes out that seed, and then they end up walking away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why he goes into great detail of comparing three bad soils to one good one. And again, you see that three, it's four soils, but there's three bad ones or that don't receive it fully and the one good one. So again, we see three, that rule of three. We see a comparison and a contrast, right? This idea of contrasting these three with this one. One will produce fruit, multiple times of fruit. These three will not. But again, remember, we see Jesus start teaching in parables as the religious leaders begin to rise up against him and try to trap him and trick him. And it's almost at that point he says, okay, now I'm going to teach in this form because I want you to have to put in the work. I want you to have to put in the effort to go, okay, I need to listen. I need to really hear what Jesus is saying. It's not just, okay, sure, Jesus, whatever you say. It's, no, I really want to know this so that I know the truth of God's word. And I, it's amazing to me that he teaches this way. And again, it's, it seems harsh to us at times. But Jesus was wanting to make sure, man, if, if you believe, then you really need to believe. Uh, Jeff alluded to, was that like Luke 9 that you were referencing with the field and those things? Um, I think it's Luke 9 that talks about, I bought a field— What's that? 
Luke 14. Okay, I thought it was Luke 9. Um, he talks about this idea of the field. Is that also talking about the father, the funeral with his father? Yeah. Okay. So when you think about that, that idea of these different things, he's saying, listen, I want you to understand, if you say you want to be a follower of Christ, this is what that looks like. It sounds harsh, but it's meant to draw us to the seriousness of the walk with Christ. And this idea that it has to be understood, not just in a flippant sense. Yes. Mm-mm. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, it hits closer to home. Absolutely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would say too, so you brought up Luke 8 and Mark 4, both say that he explains the parable. Who does he explain the parable to? Right. So again, it's important to know that even though he explains some of these parables or the aspect of the parable, even then he's not explaining it to the crowd per, per se, he's explaining it to who? His disciples, because he says it's given for you to know these things. Now, what are they going to go out and declare after Christ is ascended? The mysteries of the kingdom. They're going to go display these things then. But at that time, right, things not being the fullness of, of time fulfilled, it's at that time Jesus is giving it to disciples. Then he ascends, Acts 2, the church begins. Now they're going out declaring these things. Because again, God is doing this in a specific order, in a reason, so that the disciples understand. And he even says, if you don't get this one, and I'm paraphrasing, if you don't get this one, how are you going to get any of them? He's kind of saying, like, you guys need to start understanding this. Let me, let me encourage you with this. Sandra, you had your hand up a minute ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to, to like just be like, okay, that's not necessarily my job. I'm going to be able to turn, but I don't know why that's very difficult to hear. Yeah. I, I think, and Paul even says this. What does Paul say in uh, Corinthians? Uh, some water, right? Some plant, but God gives the increase. And it, it, I think it's hard for us to understand that our, our purpose is literally just giving the word. Um, because we want to see the fruit. We want to see somebody grow. We want to see somebody take those steps. Um, but at the end of the day, it's also very freeing to know that, that I'm not, I can encourage, I can nurture, and we should nurture and pray and encourage discipleship. But I don't carry the burden of the increase. 
I don't, I, I don't carry the burden of growth. And, and it's amazing to me when we start understanding that, it's so much more freeing to live for Christ. Because now, if you enter a discipleship relationship with someone, and you meet a few times, and things are happening, and it seems like they're growing, and then all of a sudden they just start to drift away, and you kind of, you know, you can get discouraged. And, oh, man, maybe I didn't say this right. I could have done this different. I could have done that. Maybe if I would have done it this way. And we take the burden of that growth. Man, I, I thought they were growing. I thought things were going well. It's also really funny how we forget how God's so patient with us when we don't grow like we're supposed to. But, but when we step back and realize, oh, wait, God, that's your department. I've done all I can do. It's so freeing to not to carry the weight of those things in this life. And so, again, very interesting passage. I know there's, there is some debate about the soils. Um, I don't, I, I've not heard too many commentaries speak to the soils as being uh, salvation and using that as an example of loss of salvation. But there is some debate about how many of the soils are actually believers. Um, there are some people that think, well, the one that's choked out by the world, again, that's really believers just struggling. Um, I don't know if I see that in the passage. I think the passage teaches pretty clearly three are not saved, one is um, doesn't mean we don't get concerned by the things of the world. Doesn't mean we still don't struggle with sin ourselves, right? Romans 7, right? Paul talks about, I, I don't want to do what I'm doing, but what I want to do, I'm not doing. But I just want to encourage you, be careful when you look at those examples that we see in the Christian life that scripture says happens. When we look to other verses to try to tell us why that happens, let's make sure the other verses are being kept in context. And we don't use those verses to say, well, that's just like this. And the next thing you know, we get all confused and we're misrepresenting the things of God. So, but it is seven o'clock. So we'll go ahead and pray unless anyone has any comments, questions, or thoughts before we pray. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Because again, I, I think it's us trying to control the, the seed being received by the soil. And we're trying to make the soil so good and ready. Right. But Jesus is pretty clear. There's some hearts, if we're going to say hearts and soil, some hearts that just are hardened and that will not receive. And nothing we do is going to make that change. All we're called to do is give them the word. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, the broad road, yep. Well, but that's why I love that Jesus just told us. Like, he didn't shy away from that. He didn't hide it. Um, he didn't try to make it sound better. It was just, this is what it is. And so, yeah, great point. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, the genuine, if you want to say, I hate to use the word seeker in our culture today, but that genuine person that was like, I'm ready, I want to hear this. Um, and again, it's, it's a choice of theirs, and it's just amazing to see how God works in that. And I do believe the Spirit convicts the heart and opens up the opportunity, but they need to receive the word. Absolutely. Um, And I also love, and again, I know this is just an example relating to the agricultural part of the story. Um, I love that the fruit varies, right? The the results vary. Um, And that's, again, another example we see in Scripture where there's fruit, more fruit, and much more fruit. Right? And Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. As he prunes us, there will be fruit. More fruit, much more fruit. And again, Jesus, using the same analogy, if you will, carries that same example. Fruit, more fruit, much more fruit. So again, he, but the key is, how is that fruit produced? By the word that's seeded in us, that's rooted in us, right? Colossians, he's, we're rooted and grounded in Christ. And so Romans ten seventeen, right? For faith, or by, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's all based in the word that we've received, and then he produces that through the spirit working in us. And so, but let's do this guys. We'll go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's be praying for Matt, right? As he has this work conference call, pray for wisdom and guidance and uh, praise the Lord that he's willing to stand his ground and to do the right thing, even when uh, there's always pressures to not do that. Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. Let's be praying for Matt for his conference call tomorrow at 11. Uh, let's be praying for that. So well, let's pray and ask God to go with us tonight and through the week. Father, we do thank you for your grace and love in our lives. And Lord, we pray that you have been glorified in all that's been said and done, Lord. And we know uh, that you have called us to sow the seed, to just give the word. And Lord, I know that just saying that, um, it can take different forms. Um, some of us, Lord, uh, are going to have conversations with somebody this week that doesn't know you, but, but Lord is struggling in something, and we can just give a word of encouragement that's based in your word. Um, we can encourage them with your love and grace for them. Lord, some of us are going to have opportunities maybe to actually share the gospel, and I pray that you would just be with us in that, Lord. Uh, maybe there's a time this week where uh, we're going to be going through something, and your Holy Spirit is going to bring something, a word to our remembrance, and it'll bring comfort and peace in that moment, and it'll, it'll calm us and bring a stillness to that situation. And so, Lord, in all these things, we know the word is always working. It is living and active, and so we thank you for that. Thank you for gifting us with the word. Uh, you could have created us and let us go, but you chose to reveal yourself to us through the written word, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would be with Matt tomorrow, Lord, as he has this conference call with this work situation. Lord, there's lots of things involved, it sounds like, lots of finances. And I just pray that you would just work out all the details, that you would be glorified. And I pray that you'd bless him for his willingness to do the right thing and to stand the ground that you've called him to stand. And so I pray, Father, you'd just be with that situation. And thank you so much for him and the example that he sets forth for us to follow. Lord, again, we pray that you just go with us through this week. Help us to, to see people where they are and to just, uh, just interact with them as you've given us opportunity for your glory. We love you, Lord, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.